Hi, Charlotte. You all right? I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Yeah. Good. Right. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Oh, um, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I think your podcast sounds really cool, so I feel very honoured to be asked. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Did you say you've been putting children to bed as well? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I have, I have one who's asleep and I'm pregnant at the moment, so I have another one coming in January. So all right. I have two. Uh, so where are you based now then? Um, I live in Sheffield now. Oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what took you there? Kind of just circumstances um, kind of thing. So I, my husband um, lives lives here. He's now the drummer for Reverend in the Makers. Um, oh, right. Of course, Sheffield band. Um, but I, I didn't meet him in Sheffield. We met. He was playing in a different band at the time. We met um, a festival in Cornwall, but anyway, yeah, um, he um, yeah spent a lot of time here when we first got together, and I think it's a wonderful place. I've been here <laughs> 10, ten years now, and I don't think I don't, yeah, it's definitely home, lovely place. Yeah, there. where what are you? Band you was know, when you met him then? He was in a band called the New Nineteen Twenty, who were ah, a Welsh band, um, not, not together anymore. Um, then he joined Reverend. It's a while ago now, maybe six, six, seven years, something like that. Maybe a bit longer than that, actually. Don't know. A long, a while ago. He's been, he's been with them for a while now. Can you just give us an idea of how you went from starting the subways to eventually getting a record deal? Um, so we uh, we started playing together as so Billy and Josh, um, our brothers, and I was going out with Billy at the time. And him and Josh could already play guitar and drums and they were playing like Nirvana covers and Oasis covers and other bands that we were into. Um, and they they wanted a bass player, so Billy taught me how to play and we just started making a load of noise, really. That's, that was kind of, there was no grand designs in the beginning or anything. We were just, we were pretty young. We were like 15, so we were just making a load of noise, really. Um, and then started to play like local venues because we we all grew up in Essex and Hertfordshire um so started playing the local venues around there and started playing a bit more um in London um just sending off loads and loads of demos and then um trying like because we're all under 18 so like sneaking into venues that we're supposed to be in and stuff and playing um at night and then going back to school the next day um and we did that for a few years and then um I think a lot of people know um that our one of the things that's, that really kicked things off for us was winning the Glastonbury Unsigned Band competition in 2004 so we got to play on the other stage um and that kind of really started snowballing things um like we got to play at Reading and Leeds that year we released our first single on um seven inch uh, with transgressive records just a limited edition run went on our first UK tour and then things just kind of spiral spiraled from there yeah i wanted to talk about um like your influences and stuff because obviously you get kind of put in with that indie scene but i think it's fair to say you had a bit of a like a heavier influence on a lot of those bands kind of thing i think so yeah i think we've always had a had a love for heavy music and you know nirvana was our big one i learned how to play blaze guitar by learning how to play nirvana songs that's that's how i learned how to play um and i think we always we've always had a drawing to 
the heavier bands and always try to make ourselves sound as heavy as we can live. Um, so a lot of the, um, for me personally, I think it's more kind of more on the female side. So I, I loved Hole, um, I used to love Ash. Um, and then kind of more of the indie bands, we like, um, this has been really nice actually, because I started thinking about this time again. And there's loads of bands that I've not listened to for ages. So the Von Bondies were a band that I loved. And I was listening to their first album, Lack of Communication, again yesterday for the first time in probably like 10 years. And like, this is so good. And this was like what was inspiring us at the time and what felt really exciting and what made us want to make music. When you started, did you feel like you were part of a community of bands or part of a scene at all? Um, I don't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we really felt part of a scene in any way I think there was I think uh, there was definitely it was an amazing time for music it's why you're doing this podcast isn't it there was so many bands coming out of the UK doing great things and it was really amazing great so cool to be part of that um I think in some ways we also felt kind of separate from that in a way I think maybe because of those slightly heavier influences um I think we did feel a little bit different um but then yeah at the same time there'd be lots of Joe festivals would be great because the lineups would always be really cool and there'll always be so many bands you'd want to go and see. Um, yeah. We've had people like Kate Jackson on the podcast who said she didn't feel any kind of uh, like different treatment or sexism from other bands. It was more the corporate side of things where I think they looked at the long bonds and said, oh, we don't need a female fronted band at the minute. Did you ever come across anything like that? I think um, not not really from people I worked directly with. So, um, you know, we, we've been, I think, especially at the very start, we had an amazing A&R guy. Our manager's been with us since the very start and they're always very supportive. Other bands we met, I never felt that. But I think the one place I did feel it a little bit was in like the press and the media. I think, um, I don't really think a lot of, kind of the more the popular press really kind of got me or liked me um I think they thought I was a bit I don't know I've always kind of it's a a strange one because I think they kind of I I do think there's more in some ways there's more pressure on females I feel like you need to be you can't you you need you need to be so much you need to kind of feel like you get this pressure to be like really really amazing or I don't know it's a really hard thing to describe but I think that's it's the the media and the the press that I felt that they kind of unless you were absolutely perfect they'd kind of pick away and they'd always find something to pick at and if there was a review it was always it always felt like it was me that they were like picking at there was like something I'd done that wasn't like 100% perfect and it was yeah that was what they'd pick apart so I think that's probably where I felt it. I mean like Kate Jackson said um you know, she felt like she had a bit of responsibility to a lot of the female audience who looked up to her. Did you have a lot of, um, like, a young female audience that you felt that like looked up to you? Um, I think it's one of the, it, it's a strange thing to think about because I'm often, I have been asked before if I feel like a role model or um, you know, other kind of words like that. And I think no nobody thinks of themselves as that because you just think of you as you. But then when you think there aren't, aren't as many females then I think you have to think that perhaps maybe you are in a position where people are looking up to you um and I ha- and I think yeah to be it kind of makes me want to it, it makes me want to be like the best I can really because I'm aware of people like looking at me in perhaps the same way that I looked at other musicians that I that I, that I thought were amazing when I was growing up and kind of 
wanting to give that to them, that like, like what I was given from bands like Hull and PJ Harvey and just, yeah, so I guess that's, it's, it's an odd thing to think because I don't think of myself like that, but then I guess you kind of, but the nature of being a female in a band is that you kind of become that, um, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it's a bit easier to now look back on things rather than, I guess at the time you're not, you're obviously not thinking about stuff like that maybe. I don't, yeah, no 18-year-old no thinks of themselves like that at all, I think, because we were so young. I think, yeah, I think it, a lot of things I think about that time are definitely in hindsight because we were just getting on and doing our thing and nobody thinks that much about the world when they're 18, I guess. You just, <laughs> yeah. just get on, don't you? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, true, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get too Hello Magazine, but I, but I know <laughs> that you and Billy, like you mentioned, were together at the time and we've not had that kind of uh, dynamic or that kind of situation on the podcast before. So I just yeah. wanted to ask you about that. Like, what's it like, obviously, being in a band with a partner, but obviously, and then achieving dreams together, it must be pretty unique. Um, yeah, we've, it, it was it, it was an amazing thing to experience together as as a couple and to have um you know we, we did have ambition and to achieve those things that we wanted to together was amazing um and then now he's still like you know he's he's, he's the person I collaborate with musically he's like one of my best friends he's you know he's still um yeah I think we never it was although obviously breaking up with someone is, is a difficult thing we were in the middle of making our second album at the time and so that was the main focus and having that focus together is what got us through it probably because you, you wouldn't really have time to um kind of a lot of people don't speak to their exes anymore which is you know it's, it's kind of it's, it's quite sad isn't it because you think if you had a great relationship you don't speak to them anymore but I think we're lucky that we had the music to kind of keep us keep, keep us together as friends yeah I mean obviously that's skipping down the line a bit I guess but how was that time like did he find it easy to carry on? Was it always like a bit of a no-brainer in terms of, you know, you're definitely going to carry on? Oh, it was definitely, it was no, no I mean, maybe I believe, maybe Billy gave a different answer, I don't know. But um, for, for me, there was never, um, yeah, there's never any question that we'd, we'd carry on and we'd keep making music. Yeah, we were, we were in the middle of the second album, which was something we were really passionate about and really excited about. And we just really wanted to, to finish that and then tour it and just, just carry on, but just not together anymore. Going back to the music um, and like the early attention you got, I mean, I remember hearing you a lot on Zane Lowe. Um, oh, right. He really championed you. Yeah, what was it like kind of getting that early attention and like getting that radio play kind of thing? Yeah, Zane Lowe was brilliant. Um, he he was and he was very much part of that time I think because he championed a lot of bands and he perhaps helped shape it in a way I think bring bringing a lot of um, different bands um, to the to the forefront with um, with his radio show but also with Gonzo as well um, and yeah I think you know, just hear being I remember so two distinct things I remember is I remember being we were in the back of our um, little van. Um, which I didn't, you know, at the time, didn't really think of as being a really stupid thing to be in the back of a, like, little transit van and, the, like, amps falling on you and things. It's probably a really stupid thing to do. But we did that. We went around London playing shows like that. And then I remember being in the back of that van and um, hearing John Peel playing um, playing 1am, which is our first single for the first time. That was our first ever time on radio. 
and that was hugely exciting. And then um, we recorded our first album at Elevator Studios in Liverpool, and we'd um, we'd done the video for Oh Yeah, which was our second single, our first like kind of proper single off the album. And we saw the video for the first time on the screen in the studio there, um, which was on um, MTV2. It might have been on Gonzo, actually. I'm not sure. It may have been on Zone Lane's program. Um, and that just being completely mind-blowing, just like this is like really happening, isn't it? Um, it's just, it's still a thrill now. Like if I hear a song of ours somewhere, it's, it's still, still a big thrill to hear that. In 2004, you went on like a self-funded tour. Was that kind of part of like the DIY attitude that you took to the band? Yeah, so that, that came after... Um, so we played Glastonbury, we played Reading and Leeds, and then we released the yeah 1am, the first seven-inch single with Transgressive. And then we wanted to tour it. That's all we ever wanted to do was tour it. So we were like, well, let's just do it. Um, and then it took us to like up to Glasgow for the first time, um, took us down to Exeter and uh, loads of places in between over a month. Um, and yeah, we did it in, we borrowed my dad's car and um, Billy and Josh's dad's van and did it in that. Um, and it, yeah, just so much fun, that tour. Like, I feel like a lot of it's hazy because it's a long time ago now and there's a lot of, lot, a lot, lot was drunk on that tour. But um, <laughs> we're like 18, just let out of the house the first time properly. Like, it went a bit wild. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just such a huge adventure. Um, and just, yeah, just... I think a lot of the things that we did, I just look back now and I think it was just so, so, so lucky to have had those experiences um, and to have to have done those things at such a young age. Yeah, can you remember a time when you kind of started playing gigs where the crowd like knew the song and kind of how that feeling was? Um, I do. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit before that, really. But I remember the first people that came back um in London because we used to play to like like so many different like every like little venue that would have us in London we played at and I remember there were these two sisters called um Mel and Melek and they uh and they came back like I was like you were here last week and they're like yeah you guys are great it's like the people have come back this is amazing like it's are these fans are these our first fans this is like unreal um and they still come to our London shows now which I think is really cool yeah, obviously, like, you were, like, known for your kind of energetic live performances with, like, Billy jumping off all sorts and everything. <laughs> was that yeah. kind of um, something that was important to the band in terms of putting on a show, or was it all kind of just organic? Um, I think it's a mixture of both. I think we always want to do, like, 100% every performance. That's always been our thing. And we we do that's how we love to play like we love being really energetic and we love running around and Billy loves jumping off things I think he gets into venues and he already starts looking around at what he might be able to jump <laughs> off that night parkour uh, <laughs> yeah yeah he, he'd be amazing at parkour actually wouldn't he <laughs> do it um um but yeah that's it's become and and now it's become you know like the the, the identity of the band and and who we are that's what we do that like we go out and we play live shows and we have lots of energy and we have um, a load of fun doing it as well. Like working with Ian Brody from the Lightning Seeds for that first album, what was that like? 
yeah, just he's the perfect. I always think about Ian as, of course, he um, has um, the, the credentials and he is an amazing producer and all the work he's done is incredible. That's sheer that kind of he's just had an amazing career and himself in the Lightning Seeds as well. But I think the thing about Ian, which was so perfect for us in on that album, um, was he was just an amazing mentor and just really made us feel, because I think we could have felt quite intimidated or um not you know uncomfortable in in that studio setting because our first time being in a big studio like that with this big name producer but he just made us feel completely um at ease um and able to record the songs and um achieve achieve something we were really proud of at that time yeah i mean we've talked to had the paddingtons on recently who worked with owen morris and they kind of said oh, that right, yeah he, his style kind of and the way he worked with them kind of influenced their sound moving forward in terms of playing live. Is that yeah. something that you pick up from a good producer? I think so, yeah. And I think um, I think the, of, of the, uh, the three producers that we worked with for the first three albums, I think in terms of their influence, I think this is, this is more of a question for Billy, really, because Billy has, Billy produced our fourth album and he's producing our fifth album as we're working on it at the moment. Um, and so he has learned a huge amount from, from all three of them um, and all the different styles and different techniques. And that is where he's got his knowledge and his, his ability to produce from. And um, when did those like big songs kind of come to fruition? Was it really early on? Did How many songs did you have going into the studio? Um, for the first album, they were all, yeah, they were, they were all done. And um, we've been playing Oh Yeah and Rock and Roll Queen for... Um, for a long time they were on the demo cd that we sent to glastonbury um rock and roll queen different was i think oh yeah it was yeah rock and roll queen was definitely on the the cd so they've been songs that had been around for um for a while and that we've been playing in like london venues and on played on that first tour um i'm trying to think if any of them came about in the studio um i think most of them were, were pretty much done done before um and then it was a case of ian capturing them in the best way possible as 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 he's so good at doing you said he's like a bit of a mentor like uh can you give us a bit of an example of like, what you mean by that um so there was this pub next uh, the pub next to the studio and we'd go there um after finishing recording and just I think that was really nice that he did that with us just to kind of you know we're outside we've, we've spent all day working and now we're just going to have a, a sit and just going to talk to you guys about whatever you want to talk about um I also remember one incident where um we've got two brothers in the band it's probably not surprising things were fiery in there, <laughs> especially when we were younger um and you know Billy and Josh had a bit of a fight and Ian took us out for for pizza and kind of calmed everything down a little bit um which was you know kind of reset us for the next day um and just I think helped guide us through it and helped guide us through because we'd done bits of recording, but we'd not, yeah, because we recorded that first single, um, but we'd never been in a huge live room like that before. And just, I think just giving us the space to to just play, the play, play and encouraging us and making, yeah, making us feel comfortable, as I said before. Yeah, like I've never met him, but he does seem to have a bit of a, like a calming kind of personality. Yeah, calming. Like a calming influence. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the word that I was searching for. I couldn't find. That's it, yeah. Car, a car, very calming influence, yeah, which really is, is definitely 
what we needed. We needed to calm down a little bit <laughs> at, <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you've got like all kind of dynamics going on if you've got two brothers and a relationship as well. Yeah, you're not afraid to say what you think of each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. <that's> <laughs> yeah, did that help in terms of songwriting and stuff where it could be pretty frank with each other? Yeah, I think it's what, you know, it is the dynamic that made that that's what makes the band. Although, um, though Josh has recently left us, so it's just um, it's just me and Billy at the moment now um, until we we have a new drummer. Um, but up, that up until that's that's literally happened in the last few months. So for all that period of time, I feel like it is that 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 closeness between us that is yeah that's what's made the the band what it is. I think I read that um, you'd like you had one finished copy of the album and it actually got stolen outside a hotel while you're in Glasgow, I think. Is that right? Yeah, our, our van did get broken into. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that story, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, our van did get broken into and a load of things got stolen, including that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I, I well, well, I think I, I think whoever stole it didn't do much with it, but um, we managed to get the, the songs back it somehow from somewhere and it was all okay but yeah right. yeah the van did get broken into and loads of stuff got next which was um yeah not great at all uh, as you can imagine yeah 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 but it wasn't like he's just a random criminal rather than someone trying to boot like the album I think uh, yeah I don't think uh, yeah I don't think someone was trying to steal the Subway's first album or anything I think they just wanted the, the, the expensive stuff in it yeah. <laughs> and then you mentioned the song oh uh, yeah I mean that's definitely the first one I remember on Zane Low um and that ended up being number 25 in the charts according to Wikipedia right. <laughs> um so yeah what's that feeling like we've talked to people who said it's a bit surreal or other people that said it kind of passed them by like what was it like for you guys yeah I think it, it's it, was, it always felt like something which like record label and people cared about more than us um I think for us our thing was always like we wanted to play more live shows and bigger live shows and that's where we equated our success I guess or kind of what we that, that's what our we never had an ambition to have a number one album but we did have an ambition to like play the main stage of Reading Festival so I think um yeah but then when you do get in the top 40 especially at a time when there's yeah, there's lots of bands around and lots of competition. It, it's, it's it's an amazing moment. And uh, we did get to do Top of the Pops, which I, I still think is one of the coolest things, especially now when you talk about Top of the, top of the Pops to younger people and they've got no idea what that is. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's always, that was, yeah, I guess that's linked to charts. That's why I've said it because it's kind of linked for charts, isn't it? And that, that, that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the, the big things which I think we're super proud of. Ah, uh, cool. Which song did you do on Top of the Pops? We did No Goodbyes, um, but we had to do vocal to track, which we weren't very happy about. But everyone has to do vocal to track on on, um, on Top of the Pops, don't they? Well, a lot of people did. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, Billy didn't want to do anything Morrissey style with the flowers or anything? <laughs> no, that would have been good. Or like Nirvana when they like, um, Kurt Cobain sung it like in a lower key. He did, 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 <laughs> did just to take the piss out of it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when I don't remember it. I won't about three, but <laughs> when uh, Nirvana, I think it must have been John from Rossi's first ever chat show, and they were supposed to play uh, Teen Spirit, but they ended yeah. up playing um, I think it was Territorial Pissings. That's amazing. I didn't know that mental. story. I think that it's on really YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I need to find it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to ask you about some kind of like 
TV stuff, really, because, uh, I mean, it looked like 2006 was a pretty massive year for the band. And I saw the soundtrack to Kate Moss advert. Was that oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rock and Roll Queen was used on a Kate, well, was on a, yeah, Kate Moss Rimmel advert, which is very strange, isn't it? Like, it's <laughs> just a, yeah, an amazing thing, but just like a, yeah, just like, just bizarre to see your song used in, in, in that way um it's not something you ever expect is going to happen um but yeah that that was that was pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) i think same year you ended up being on an episode of the rc and i just wanted to ask you about this because like i watched that program well quite a few has watched it like religiously at the time yeah i was one of them i loved it (laughs) (laughs) still still love it could probably watch that again actually good good lockdown thing to do (laughs) yeah i think it's one of like the most nostalgic things i could watch i reckon (laughs) yeah Uh, especially with all the music they had on what was that experience like like i don't know it kind of seemed at the time when i was a kid it seemed so far removed from where we were i think that's maybe what the appeal was for watching it like yeah what was it like being involved in that and did you meet the cast and everything um we did get get to meet some of the cast um which was really cool we got to meet um Rachel Bilson and Misha Barton, who I just thought were like the coolest people ever. And that was just like, was so starstruck getting to meet them. Um, And we were there for the whole day. So we, um, they let us like sit behind like juggle director's chairs and stuff and let us just sit and watch the scene coming together, which that was the best bit really, just to see how something is filmed and just to watch what happens with that. That was amazing. Um, and just such a great opportunity because, like you're saying, the, the soundtrack for that um, TV series is um, is is one of the is one of the things that's talked about a lot for it. Um, and there were so many amazing bands like Def Cab for Cutie and Killers and I don't know, loads, loads and loads and loads that I'm forgetting. Um, and so to be part of that was was yeah, just such an honour. And I think at the time we just couldn't quite believe that it was happening, but. Yeah, that, again, that's one of the things which I just look back and just so grateful for and just think we were very lucky people to do things like that. Well, how did it work on the day? Like, were you playing live or were you just kind of doing it to a backing track for hours on end? Or so, what uh, yeah, so it was because the actors are talking in it to hear their lines. We had the song um, in headphones. So we had headphones on. And we could hear the song so that we were moving around and singing or whatever in time, like we were miming. Um, and then they were like delivering their lines. So that that was pretty weird because we're just like stomping around on the stage, which must have sounded really loud. Um, and then they're like delivering, yeah, they're, they're, they're performing their lines. So yeah, that was quite <laughs> weird. <laughs> I think I remember thinking that at the time, like there'd be a band playing and they'd just be having a chat in the middle of uh, the audience. Like yeah a normal level <laughs> yeah yeah not not even like whispering in each other's ears as you or shouting in each other's ears you have to do at gigs they're just like, stood <laughs> yeah. a meter apart aren't they <laughs> yeah. yeah and then obviously I mentioned 2006 they like, played some pretty mega gigs like supporting Foo Fighters at Old Trafford and uh yeah what was that like first of all yeah like Foo Fighters were you know obviously Nirvana fans leads you on to being Foo Fighters fans and they yeah, that, I think at that time as well, they were really just killing it live and doing loads of great things and were just a great band to watch live. And it was, yeah, really cool to be 
to I mean, if he, I just can't believe I met Dave Grohl really I think that's <laughs> just ridiculous and ta- I like Taylor Hawkins as well he's just super nice um and Nate as well uh, the bass player he was lovely uh, but it was just yeah just yeah I can't I sometimes forget we've done these ridiculous things. Um, but yeah, that is, um, yeah, very lucky to play them super. I, I feel like I've said lucky and grateful like, <laughs> a, a gazillion times in this interview. But I think it's because like nothing's happening at the moment, is it? And so you look back at all these amazing things and you're like, oh man, that was so cool. <laughs> I remember, I don't know if I heard it somewhere, I read it somewhere, but I remember hearing that Dave Grohl was quite selective with his support groups as well. Like, did he personally pick it to play on that lineup i mean yeah that's that apparently that's that's the story you hear isn't it that he um he chooses so if he did choose then it's even better i think yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't know if, i don't know 100 percent, but that is that is what he said isn't it that he he chooses so yeah definitely. I don't, I don't know he didn't tell us he chose but <laughs> right. maybe he did let's pretend he did anyway <laughs> i mean yeah going back to the tv thing like uh, another thing i've not really asked any guests yet is what it's like I mean it's a pretty basic question I guess but what it's like being on the Letterman show because again that was like pretty <laughs> important in terms of the video I remember like you know downloading videos for hours <laughs> of like bands like The Strokes on there and stuff yeah and it, it seemed like a big kind of moment when a band played Letterman was that a similar yeah. thing for you yeah it was it was a big moment for us I remember being told that we were going to do it and we were just like what for real how how are we doing this? <laughs> this is, how is this happening? Um, and that's one of the cooler ones because a lot of TV stuff ends up being vocal to track and that was one where you got to just play live. That was good. It's always a bit, it's a bit, a bit vocal to track. So I think vocal to track is always a bit weird for bands because um, it always sounds like it's vocal to track. Do you know how with like pop stars and stuff, you, you don't necessarily know. You could, with their mind, but with bands, it's always really obvious, I think, that you're doing vocal to track, but then you don't, you're not often given the option. Um, to playfully live but that was one where we got to playfully live so that was good um and to go over to new york for a few days i the the ac was our first time um in the states as a band and then i think letterman was our first time in new york um so that was really cool too new york was somewhere i'd always wanted to go to um and so to be there for a few days was amazing um and then to do the show um we got to meet Adam Sandler at one of the TV shows, but I've forgotten which one it was now. Mm. It was either that one or Conan, or Conan O'Brien, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, we got to meet Adam Sandler at one of them. That was really cool because like, he's just a big star, isn't he? So that was <laughs> pretty good. For the Letterman show, then you literally just flew over for that, for that show and then yeah. you went back. I think we did a few bits of press while we were there, but we are only there for a few days. Yeah. All right, really cool. Pretty mad, yeah. What impact did it make playing those TV shows? Did it mean you could you build up enough following to go play tours there, or did you see any kind of like measurable impact from doing that? Um, I think, I think, I think really those are the biggest biggest things we've done in the US. I think we did go and play. Um, we have toured there quite a lot um, on our own. Um, and um, one of the best tours we've ever done was supporting taking because this is this links us more into like the the rock side of things I guess was playing with um, Taking Back Sunday um, 
on their Loud and Out tour, which the album is incredible. And so, and that, that show every night was amazing. Um, Angels and Airways, which is was Tom DeLong from Blink 182's um, side project, and had Automatica, and then we were on first. And that was, two, I think that was 2006. That was all part of that time. Um, and that was a super cool thing to do. That was like, we loved that tour. And all the bands on it were so, there was no like, didn't really feel like that, because even though we were on first, didn't really feel like there was a hierarchy. Like all the bands were like, um, friends we had like we had tour running club so me and <laughs> me and Adam and David from um Angels and Airways used to go running every day which was cool <laughs> um, yeah um so that was really nice the kind of the it's one of the most like sort of inclusive sort of tour experiences I've had I think with where we've been the the smallest band on it do you almost feel like more at home with those kind of I guess Kerrang bands if for one of a better term but those yeah. heavier bands kind of thing um, I think um, we've we've done lots of things with with loads 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 of different types of bands, and I think it all just comes down to down to the people, really. No matter kind of what what music um, they're playing, we've had some some great support bands that we've you know I'm still in touch with with because they become like friends. Um, because I think if you spend every day together for like six weeks, then you do you get to know each other, um, which is is really cool. Um, and their bands from like all over the all over the world like they're not just from the UK and they don't just play indie or they don't just play rock they play like there's lots of different types of bands so I think yeah it just comes down to the people being cool um and and having a good time with them well going back to the running thing I read Johnny Marr's book and I remember him saying uh when he's playing in Modest Mouse he'd do, he'd do like a 10k before he played a gig <laughs> yeah um yeah well running's always been it well not always been but for a long time I think I probably started running probably about two thousand, probably about ten years now. But it's been yeah, it's been like my thing, um, and it's really good on tour um, because it's a really good way to see somewhere in an hour, like an hour's quick, swift sightseeing tour. Go run around, see all the main sites, and you kind of ticked it off if you've not got much time. So that's one of the things that um, yeah, that I really like about it. Yeah, I think I'd have to do something like that for mental health during a tour. I think like when I was younger, I could probably <laughs> when I was eighteen, I could have maybe handled it, but. At this age, I guess you had to take a bit more care, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think it's something that, yeah, it's, it's not something I did when the band was first starting. It's something I've done as I've got older. Um, yeah, so from 2010. My, um, so my husband, he's in Reverend the Makers, but he also drum techs for um, a few bands as well. Um, and he only runs when he's on tour. He doesn't run when he's at home because he like doesn't want to run around Sheffield in the dark and the rain. Like, he wants to like run in nice places. So that's his like and his thing, and that's what keeps him sane on tour and gets him. Because if you're tech in, I think you can get you know trapped into getting stuck in the venue all day. But that's what kind of he gets up in the morning, gets out and does that, and that kind of just gets him some fresh air and gets him out of the venue for the day. And I think yeah, I think you start to um, you need that getting out of the venue. I think as you get a bit older. Um, and just yeah, getting some fresh air. In 2006 is where you made a kind of the progression to play on the main stage at Reading and Leeds. So was that a bit of a big moment as well? That was a that was a huge thing for us. Me and Billy had been to Reading Festival um, in the so we first played it in 2004, and we'd been going for a few years before that, um, just like camping out and watching bands um, and. And, and like I remember seeing bands like the Von Bondies there and just like the year before that we we first got to play and just that being hugely inspirational and I think 
it's kind of everyone has their festival that you, they used to go to um when they were growing up um and so to get to be on the main stage there was always an ambition that we had um and it was it was just brilliant I think two yeah 2006 we did it in 2006 and 2008 we were supposed to do it this year as well but of course that didn't happen um maybe next year I don't know um but um yeah so that first time I think is always going to be really really special and we were so excited and it was so much fun and the crowd was massive and it was just beyond anything I think we could have expected there's recordings on one of the deluxe albums on Spotify from Reading was that the year 2006 you know yes yeah yeah that's right yeah it was that year cool yeah, I was listening to that today and definitely sound like it made the most of it yeah is that is the crowd like I, I listened to it to prove it and um yeah before we released that and just like listening to it the crowd is like that crowd was amazing it just the roar at the end and then hearing people sing along like rock and roll queen is just it's just wonderful <laughs> yeah I mean your gigs obviously had a lot of interaction with the crowd as well and we've talked to bands like the future heads who kind of made yeah. sure they wanted to make sure it's like a, a full experience i think is what they said is that kind of I mean, i've asked you this already really but yeah. is that a big part of the performances like with the crowd interaction and stuff yeah and it still is that's like that's our thing that's like what we that's what we do that's why we do it that's why we love it um future heads is a, is a cool band to think about though we played loads of shows with them um in the early days and they, they were great um yeah it'd be cool to see i think they're, they're, they're playing again i think aren't they are they playing again yeah yeah they're yeah. um like similar to you guys they had all kind of festivals booked and everything for this yeah. year so was it like you mentioned the future obviously was there a point where you felt part of a scene at some point then maybe not when you first started but say when you're like you know in the enemy every week and stuff did you feel part of that or was it just maybe something that enemy created maybe i think yeah it's, it is something that I think it's a mixture of both, is it? Because there were a lot of bands, but then I think the enemy kind of drew them together. And like you were saying, like Zane Lowe kind of kind of drew bands together and kind of formed um, a, a scene. But then there was loads of like, shall I say the future is a, a band that we played, we played loads with um, in the early days. And those, it'd be that like you'd see the same bands or you'd end up doing like, you know, like Christmas specials or like, X, yeah, I remember doing like an XFM Winter Wonderland a few times and, it'd be sort of similar bands on there yeah so I think I think they were yeah we were definitely part of that that part of that time yeah thanks for listening to this episode of 22 Grand Pod if Naughty's guitar music is your thing then you might enjoy our Patreon page where for £3 a month you will get access to the following series the Naughty's Deep Dive, where we go through the likes of the Stalking Pete Doherty documentary in painful detail. My favourite 2000s album, where patrons and other guests come on to talk about their favourite album of the era. Legend or Landfill, in which we go through Enemy's top 10 albums of each year from 2001 and see if we think they are indeed legendary or for the landfill. Unsigned Stories, where we chat to bands that didn't quite make it in terms of signing that elusive record deal. We also have Fan Stories, where I talk to people about their memories and opinions on all things Naughty's Indie. You also get early access to any main podcast episodes and it's also worth checking out the youtube page where you can see extended video versions of the interviews as well as plenty of other bits of commentary and opinion all links are in the description now back to the pod move on to the second album then obviously yeah. there was a like a three-year gap between the first and second albums um yeah. so obviously i wanted to ask about why it was that amount of time and also if you felt like we asked bands if the kind of 
dynamics or the pressure changes going from the first album to the second album? Obviously, it's a bit more pressure. So we've actually, and just talking about the three-year thing, we've ended up with three years between every album, not on purpose. <laughs> it's just how it's happened. Although we're, the fifth album we're working on at the moment, there's like, oh, I don't know, when there's five years. Like, well, it's not going to be released this year, is it? So it's going to be like six. But um, yes, yeah, so there was three years between um, the first two albums. Um, and yeah, it wasn't on purpose. It was just um, because we talked about a lot of the touring and the things that we did around the first album. It's just because... We, we were busy doing that um, and wanted to do, you know, we love touring and we um, love playing. And so just wanted to do that, um, do that as much as possible um, before starting on the second album. And then you asked about pressure, didn't you? Sorry, yeah, kind of yeah. Put, like, three questions in one there. Uh, uh, no, it's okay. I just, I just realised I've gone off on tangent. <laughs> no, sorry. Not what you asked about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just interesting from like the outsider point of view, obviously before you get signed and stuff you kind of write in to your own end kind of thing I just wondered and some people have said pressure changes when you start working with a label where they want continue that commercial success I just wondered if that's something you guys felt if you uh if you felt a pressure to keep up that success I think um I didn't really feel it at that time I think if it was happening now I think I probably would feel it and I think I just put that down to age and perhaps being young and a bit naive and just being like this is so cool. Like we're in LA recording with Butch Fig. This is amazing. And not really thinking beyond that. Um, but that's, that's down to naivety. I think, I think it probably was there, that pressure. Um, but we were just so focused on, on doing what we were doing. Um, that I, I think, yeah, maybe if you asked our manager, maybe he would probably, I think he'd probably say there was pressure. Um, and there was definitely, um, it was the same record label. Um, we parted with them after. Uh, we did part with them after um, the second album, but it was it was Warner's for albums one and two. Um, but then it was a little bit strange because a lot of people left um, around the second album. Um, the one person who were really upset about leaving was our A and R guy Neil Ridley, um, who was he's like a friend really. He found us and he got assigned to Warners. Um, and he left around the recording and just, you know, left the label. Um, so then it just became a different place. It wasn't like the place that we went in and said hello to people anymore because we didn't know anyone there. It just, it was, it's just a bit different. You mentioned working with Butch Vig, who obviously produced Nevermind by Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did that come about and what was that like? Um, I think when you like, you know, when you have a wish list and you don't think it's going to happen. That's how that came about. <laughs> like, well, that would be good, wouldn't it? Like, not thinking that would happen. Oh, right, so it was yeah. your suggestion to the label. Um, yeah, and then there was links with him because he's he's also a drummer in Garbage, of course, and um, it's same label. So there is links, uh, right. there is links within the label um, to, to get to, to get to him. Um, so yeah, it's not like we just like sent him an email or anything, and he said yes. <laughs> like we did have help to get it. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was of course, like you said, he's the um, the drum. Uh, sorry, the the producer for Nevermind, which was like you know the the album for us um, when we were first starting the band, but also um, one of my heroes and still one of my heroes is Shirley Manson. So. Um, the fact that he was in garbage was just, yeah, just so cool. Um, and he was still pretty young at that fact, that that time. So I think, I think I was, no, I was twenty one because I was drinking in bars. 
And this is how I equate things. Because a lot of things we did on with Young Fraternity, we like weren't, me and Josh, like, because Billy's a little couple of years older, me and Josh like weren't allowed in a lot of the venues we were playing. Um, and we'd have to be like, I remember one venue in, in Silver Lake where we had to be escorted in like for our show and then escorted back out again. Because no yeah, they're, they're pretty hot on that in America, aren't they? But the, but the, everyone could have a gun. But maybe this this is not a, <laughs> yeah. this is not a discussion for now. But yeah, it was it was it was really weird to be like twenty and have been like you know drink. Well, I mean in the UK, everyone drinks. And at that at my at that time, I was going to bars and stuff when I was like sixteen and hiding in the corner and people buying drinks. But to go from like that and then kind of being quite adult at twenty to then all of a sudden you're not allowed in the place you're supposed to be like playing in was really weird. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, we'll not talk about that. I was talking, I, that, that led me on to it because I think, oh, yeah, I was 21. Um, yeah, I think I was 21 when we were recording that. So still pretty, like, still pretty young, really. Um, at the time, I think we felt we were like, oh, we're so much older now because we're working on our second album. Like, yeah, 21's young. Like, <laughs> looking back on it now. Um, but, yeah, to work with, with Butch was, yeah, dream come true. And, again, like, that should have felt like a really daunting experience. And before we went, we were really nervous about it. But he just made us feel so at home and really comfortable and able to and able to perform. Um, yeah, because I think before I was like, how on earth am I going to sing in front of Christian? How am I going to do that? I don't know how I'm going to do that. How am I going to do that? <laughs> yeah, does it kind of make you like, want to raise your standards a little bit, obviously, with yeah. someone like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. It makes, it, it brings out, the best in you I think because yeah you like you want to do the best you possibly can um and want to there's there's a lot of imposter syndrome with what we've done I think and you just think how are we here doing how am I like doing this like, it's so, and then you, you can't think about that too much otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it you kind of just have to get a, I think a lot of it but I think that's how we got through a lot of these things is we just did them and then I look back now I just think like how am I so if let's say ian brody was a mentor figure was uh butch figure similar similar figure yeah i'd say so definitely he was very um he just felt like he was very caring like he always bought snacks into the studio which i know that's just a little thing um, and there was this really nice wine that he used to bring in because he knew I liked that, and that was really nice. He's drank a lot of that wine. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just just you kind of like caring and looking after us by like it just yeah just it just felt like he he really cared about us um, and cared about what we were doing and believed in what we were doing and wanted to support us through it. Um, yeah, because I think he recognised that we were still still so young. Was it yeah. the same studio as us? Never mind, or not. I don't think so, no. It was I don't know that's that's bad, isn't it? I don't know when of mine was recorded. That's the type of thing, it's a true fan, you should know, isn't it? The real um, <laughs> I, sh- I should know it to be fair. It's like a real famous one where Fleetwood Mac recorded as well, I think. Um, I can't remember it might not be anywhere near earlier. Really. I can't remember. No, no, I don't know. Sorry, yeah, the one yeah, we were in Conway Studios, which does have a lot of I'm not gonna remember any of them now, but a lot of albums have been recorded there. And I mean, were you quite used to being in the States all that time? Or did that kind of add to the whole, I don't know, the whole madness of it was being in LA as well as working yeah. with Butch Vig? That was definitely part of the fun because um, we um, we did have, um, do we have one or two days off a week? I can't remember if, we, if he took, I think he took the weekend. Yeah, I can't remember, but we definitely had days off. And 
Um, we drove up to Malibu for one of them. We drove down to San Diego for one of them. Um, and we just like hung hung out in LA. Went to, there were loads of bands playing. So we went to see bands play. And just that was all part of the adventure really was was to live kind of like live because we were there for I think we were there for two lots of six weeks I think and um, well maybe it was six, maybe the second time wasn't quite as long as that maybe it was four so it definitely felt like we we like lived there for a little bit um which was yeah it was all part of the adventure really it's the same with um like I couldn't be different but similar to like we we lived opposite the studio in Liverpool like we had an apartment there for the amount of time that we were recording and it's just really exciting to get to go live somewhere else for a bit that's kind of all and that that sort of city that you're in kind of is is always kind of one of the a lot of the memories you have as well um of, of recording yeah i think one of these random enemy articles i read was you got that um hot hot heat played a kind of exclusive or small gig for the new album or something and it said that you guys are there in la i think <laughs> uh yeah pro- that sounds about right yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah i used to really like oh i hate bandages that's a great team um yeah we definitely yeah. saw yeah I, I think i do remember seeing them yeah i do remember seeing them yeah yeah cool just uh yeah it's just nice thing because yeah, that's something i completely forgotten completely forgotten we went to see hot hot heat in la but we did yeah um yeah this is yeah it's, this, this is with the nicest thing about you asking me to do this because i have like thought about load of bands like, I've actually I wrote down a list of bands because I was like I've forgotten so much about that time and they just because you just move on in your music taste don't you you start you listen to different things um now um so to look back and listen to some of these albums again has been, been really really cool just trying to get an idea of what it was like kind of finishing the album with him was it like a big achievement when he finished it did it kind of feel like you really achieved something yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm so proud of that second album. Um, I think I think of all of the albums, I think, well, obviously I'm proud of all the albums, but there's just something about that one. I think, um, I think because of just the song, you know, I, I love a lot, a lot of my favourite songs of ours are on that album and just the sound of it, it's, it's, it's sound, you know, he's made it sound incredible. Um and you know things were going through personally like me and Billy broke up halfway through it and we still stayed together and finished it um so there's just there's all those sort of associations with it um if you want a nice story about finishing the album on the the secret track this is the club for people who hate people it finishes with a gong and we actually we did get a gong and we lit it on fire and Josh hit it and recorded it and that's that's the gong on that and that was the last thing we did for the album so that was pretty cool um and um and we just yeah we did have I remember the last night you know we had like a few drinks with Butch and also Billy Bush who's his engineer he's a huge part of it as well um and he um he tours with with Garbage um too so he's all part of that family um and they were just, it was just, just, yeah, just uh, looking back on that, it really was an amazing thing to do. And just, yeah, so, so I'm just, I'm just, uh, yeah, I've just kind of gone off on a tangent thinking about things now, but it was, yeah, brilliant. 
Uh, did you get any pictures of stuff like that with the gong and everything? Yeah, we got a picture of the gong. We had to get a, our manager was there. He's not stupid. He knew we needed the pictures of the flaming, <laughs> the flaming gong. <laughs> Good album cover, to be fair. Yeah. And Josh, like, I think he's topless hitting it. <laughs> 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 Obviously, you said about, you know, the good live shows that you played with the crowd interaction and stuff. And obviously, you guys are still going. But um, is that something that becomes quite addictive, kind of that live performing? Yes, it's absolutely addictive. And in my later life, not later life, but it's found ancient, but, you know, like of recent years, I said I got into running. I also got into doing long distance triathlons. And it's because I'm it's the closest thing, like crossing the finish line of a big race is the closest thing I've found to being on stage. It's not the same. It's not as good. But I think I'm definitely searching. That's what I love about it. And I love the sense of Joe Race Day is almost like a performance. Um, and it's almost it's that, that kind of build up to it. And I think that's that's why I've, I've loved this as my hobby, because I'm chasing that same high that we get, um, we get on stage. Um, and... I kind of still want it, even when we're not on tour. So I've found something which is as close as I can get, I think. Yeah, I've started doing, I've no idea what it's like playing a big gig, but yeah, I've started uh, running a lot more. I, I used to do quite a few events, like yeah. not triathlons, that sounds mad, but <laughs> like 10Ks here and there. And uh, it's quite addictive as well, isn't it? In really? Its own way, kind of it is addictive, yeah. Um I think in a similar way to the, the, the playing shows is, is addictive. Yeah. And there's something like you always just like crossing the finish line is a great, it's a great feeling, isn't it? And you kind of want, you want that again. Um, and playing for that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's why we do tour so much. And it is, it's quite hard at the moment, not playing shows, especially as we were, uh, we were, we were in the middle of a tour when, um, when, when COVID came. Um, so we had to all just like go home, um, which was pretty sad um and then like now we really yeah we just we just really miss it and yeah can't wait to get back to it it's definitely addictive though I'd say that yeah <laughs> yeah what was that a UK tour oh. yeah so we were doing um which links to your podcast we we're doing um Young Fraternity Tour um all oh, right so we're playing um in the UK um and then going into Europe with it as well and we got three shows into the UK tour and then it was a very weird weekend because um, we just didn't know what was happening. Like, should we still be playing these? Are these happening? Like, every day we didn't know if the show was going to happen because it was, like, right before um, the lockdown came. Not right before the lockdown came, but right before um, things got weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, because luckily it was weekends. So we just did that weekend and then we're like, we're just, well, we would not, like, either way, it doesn't feel right to be playing shows anymore, no matter what the government decides. So we're just not doing next weekend because it just feels so wrong. To, it's, it's so, to go from two weeks before being really excited about it to then being like, it feels wrong to be playing shows <laughs> because we're bringing loads of people together when they're all going to be touching. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really strange. But yeah, that's not what this podcast is about. But yeah, it's, it's only because um, yeah, it was the Young Fraternity. So we were playing Young Fraternity in full. That's what we're doing on that tour. Oh, cool. Yeah, a few bands have done A few bands like that, have done it. They? Yeah. I think I went to see the Crew's one where they played the third album. 
That must have been cool. Yeah, it was, it was really good, yeah. And then I, I think Block Party did a similar thing, didn't they? Block Party did. Um, I went to see Garbage do their first album. That was, that was a few years ago now, though. But, um, yeah, a few bands have done it, yeah. I think, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was fun to do. We will finish that tour eventually. I don't know when, but <laughs> it, was, it was fun doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot. I think more bands should do it. It'd be real cool to see. Even, like, I remember when the Cribs did like a different album for three different nights oh that's um, a cool like that's a really cool one should do that definitely yeah. so um reverend did um i didn't get to go because i was away on tour but they did uh two nights at sheffield academy and they did albums one and two on the first night and then three and four on the second um which must have been really cool um i've seen the video footage from it and it looks really cool um yes it's a nice idea and then, yeah, just like obviously we've talked about big gigs, but I saw as well you played at Wembley Stadium with ACDC. Is that yeah. kind of another pinch yourself moment type thing? Um, that was funny because um, uh, Finn Lizzy was supposed to be playing and I can't remember why they didn't now, but they pulled out with not very long to go, I don't know, like a week or something. And then we were um, called in to do it. So it was a bit strange because everyone in the crowd is expecting Finn Lizzy who we are not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so it was a bit strange. Um, but then, you know, for, for, for Billy, like the first rock show he went to was his dad took him, him and Josh to see ACDC and he plays an SG because Angus Young plays an SG. So, you know, to get to be on the same stage as him was um, really cool. Um, we didn't meet them, but we did meet Angus's wife who was really nice and she said that she thought we were really good so that was cool um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and it's like Wembley Stadium it's, it's massive isn't it it's just yeah it was it was it was yeah one of those another one of those like just crazy moments yeah what was the stage like was it one of these that's like We've got loads of room to like walk around. They have like a platform where you can walk down the middle and stuff like that. I can't remember if there was one there. There was definitely a platform at the Foo Fighters gig because Billy jumped off it. He ran down the end and jumped off it. And <laughs> Dave Grohl was like messing with him, like, hey, Billy, motherfucker, you jumped off my platform. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very enemy gossip type question. And maybe it's one for Billy more than you, but I did yeah. read there was a bit of a ongoing beef with baby shambles like sounds like billy wasn't a big fan of pete doherty back in the day <laughs> um yeah i guess guess more of a question for billy i don't think i don't think there's any any big beef beef on the podcast anyway <laughs> beef <laughs> um yeah i think um i think we, we did well i say we, we played we were on the lineup with them at quite a few festivals which they often didn't play um because they he didn't turn up um so I think that was his thing with it he just didn't, wasn't really into the fact that he just didn't, often didn't turn up <laughs> yeah do you know Pete is obviously a very troubled man isn't he and it's not that it's not necessarily he wasn't turning up because he didn't care he just didn't you know it's he's obviously going through a lot and it's not necessarily realizing what he's doing perhaps I don't know yeah yeah, so if we do go on to the third album, like yeah. again, you're kind of like racking up these uh, big producers, like working with Stephen Street. Um, yeah. Well, I had a couple of people talk about him, and the last people to talk about him were the Paddingtons, who kind of said he was quite 
I didn't yeah. know they worked with him, actually. That's cool. Just for one single, I think, yeah. He said they went from like Owen Morris, who was like working all through the night, kind of not. Yeah, we, uh, we, I know, we, we, met, we met Owen Morris in the early days. He was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get him on. Like, we've had so many stories. Yeah, about he'd, be, him. He'd, be, he'd be a good guest, definitely. <laughs> they said the Pallinson said they went from working with him, which is mad, to working with Stephen Street, who was like very just like nine to five type attitude kind of in the studio yeah was that similar to you yeah he was yeah he definitely was very um yeah kind of, but I think I think most of the you know the, I think all three of them were kind of like that to a certain extent um and very organized like we've, we've always worked with very kind of organized producers um little butch big thing which me and Billy have both now taken on is he had a whiteboard um which he he wrote down the songs then he wrote like drums bass guitar vocals etc etc and then um like cross them off as you went along and me and billy about now both do that individually because oh it just looks good doesn't it when you start feeling your crosses and things start getting ticked off so i think we definitely like that kind of organizational aspect rather than the chaos you know we've not worked with anyone chaotic and i don't think that would work that well for us i think we're more yeah we like the organization side of it um and yeah i think Stephen was definitely like that and this album was done in london so a bit more a bit close to home um for us um and yeah Stephen, like I'm you know a huge fan of always really like Blur um you know we'll, we'll never like never you know a lot of people get to, get to choose between Blur and Oasis and we never we never had a favorite I just we just like them but I think because we were a bit maybe a bit younger so we would just so we like you know it was okay to like them both because it was it all happened you didn't have to pick side anymore um so always yeah I did always I was a big Blur fan um and your know, bass player wise always really like what Alex James did bass player wise um so yeah to to work with Stephen was was really cool um and he was just like again he's like really I think I think we, we he used to take us out for drink we just like people to take us out for drinks really, <laughs> <don't we? laughs> this is what I keep saying about all these people isn't it like, yeah just take us out for drinks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, was he? How was he different to the other, other two producers? Would you say like anything that kind of stands out? I think I think maybe the, uh, one of the big differences by the time we're working with Stephen is um, I think we were a lot more grown up, and I think you know there's a, I think just had done a lot more by that point, and so we're perhaps a bit calmer. We were more, um, yeah, we were kind of more organised about what we were doing and. And kind of had a lot more yeah a lot of the there was I think with all the albums a lot of the songs were ready but I think with the third album yeah a lot of yeah it was kind of he he really he, we were very kind of knew what we wanted I guess and not that we didn't know what we wanted for the first two but I think I think yeah just I think that level I think it was us that was different um really by that point um yeah and we're, we're and he and he just kind of perfectly complimented us at, at that time um and kind of just let us run with things while also kind of putting of course putting his mark on it a bit as well i read the uh, the release out of something called pledge music was yes. that kind of i didn't fully understand uh the idea behind that like what was yeah what was that about so i guess that that was kind of almost like early crowdfunding um so um people like pledge to like to raise funds for the release of the album and recording of it um you 
people like could pre-order the album or we could get an album and a t-shirt or I don't know various different things that we decided to like we did meet and greets and um something they sang on the record that um one of the songs called down our street the gang vocals you could you could be the gang vocal and just various other things um so that's how that worked and then in conjunction with that it was distributed via um by cooking vinyl Oh, okay. And put out by those. So it's kind of a combination between the, the two, Pledge and Cooking Vinyl, because they yeah, they were the label that put it out. Yeah. Right. So did you move on to um a different label by that point? Um yes, yeah, so that was the so one and two was um Warner's and then three and four were cooking vinyl. Right. And in, they're also in the UK, yeah. Oh, okay. And they're a bit more independent, are they? Yeah, they're a bit more independent. They're quite a big independent still. Um, they're not like a, a small, a small label. They're quite, um, but yeah, they are an independent label. Um, and yeah, they've 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 been really cool for us for for those those two albums. Yeah. And yeah, just in terms of like creative control, was was there ever a time when you had to kind of fight for that with the big record label, or not really? Uh, I think we're very lucky to say we've always been allowed to do what we want, which I think is a rare story. I think there's more stories of that not being allowed. Um, and you know, of course the producers we work with have suggestions and all three of them, and we've taken those, those on board um, and included them. But it's, that was because we thought they were good ideas, not because the record label was telling them to make the next big hit or anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. We had did Hammond on the other week and he was saying for the second 30 Pretty Things album, um, yeah. The record label made them go with a cover on the album that was uh, that had the band on because apparently they reckon the stats show that it sold better. Really? Like weird things you hear like that from record labels that demand weird things like that. Yeah, yeah I think we were, you know, we are lucky that we've never had anything weird really like that. There's been a few things where they've like, dem- like asked for things to be remixed over and over again, which is like seemed a bit pointless but there's not really damaging our creative control so I think we've been yeah quite lucky with that and then just going into or just looking at the reaction to that third album like I was looking on Enemy who didn't give it the kindest review are you bothered by things like that at that stage or are you just kind of you know you've been around a while at that point and you kind of just get on with what you're doing I think I learned pretty early to never really care because I think the Enemy whilst they were yeah, they included us a lot. They weren't always that nice, especially about me. Um, so I think I just learned to, as long as we like what we've done and we, we're still able to play shows and, and go off and, you know, do our thing, that's all that really matters. And if, the, you know, the, luckily there's people there to watch us do that, so that's good. That's always a good thing as well. Have, for having fans is, is a nice thing. So I think, yeah, I think I've never put too too much emphasis on what the press say but of course if you've got a really nice review that's that's a lovely I think yeah so I think it's been taking on the nice reviews and not letting the bad ones bother you too much I think it's yeah yeah good thing to do yeah I mean just skipping ahead to the fourth album you went back to kind of a it was like a self-titled album yeah was that kind of a I don't know a bit of a signal for going back to your roots or was it just because you'd run out of names <laughs> um yeah it was um yeah I think we kind of felt like we were going back to roots a bit of that because um sort of looking back to 
um, things that inspired us in the early days. Um, again, kind of, yeah, sort of a bit of a reflective album, I guess. Um, Billy producing it as well for the first time. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of where we felt like if we're ever going to do a self-titled album, now now is the time. Yeah, so Billy produced it then. Was that like obviously yeah. a, a lot more hands-on in terms of the band kind of getting involved in the sound? Yeah, so he, you know, Billy's a very, very talented producer now. Um, and he's learning with everything he does. He wants to do more of that, not just with us, but with you know, who, um, with with other bands. That's definitely something he's really keen to to do to do more of, and he's really passionate about. Um, he's he has done aside from what he's learned from the amazing people we've worked with, he spends hours and hours, days and days, like researching and learning about new techniques, new um, gear to use. Like he's yeah, he's. He's really talented at what he does. Yeah. Save the record label a bit of money as well. <laughs> yeah. And also it was kind of nice. It was just like, so we have a rehearsal space. So it's just set up. There's no like, we've booked this for four weeks. You need to finish it. It's just like, we just do it whenever. And it takes as long as it takes. Um, although that's different at the moment because um, I live in Sheffield and Billy lives in Hartford. So we're not, so we're, so I'm recording my parts at home and sending them to him. Um, and he's still in the studio. So it's a bit different. I've jumped forward to the next album, haven't I? But um, yeah, so it's because we were talking about, yeah, so what, that's what we were doing before before COVID came um, was, yeah, like we just, it's just, it's just permanently set up there. So, and Billy just has his, has his room there so he can go and mix and, and like fiddle around with stuff and just whenever he wants. There's no like, which is, is, that's a really nice kind of luxury to have and having a bit more time to think about things. Um and it kind of takes as long as it takes, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, I read that in the early days, Billy had kind of record everything. Yeah. Is that right? Like yeah. That similar approach he takes now? Yeah, so he, um, yeah, he records, he like, he start, or quite often just records little like voice memos or things on like his phone, like if he's just had a little idea just so he doesn't forget it. Which, yeah, I, I do that as well because like, otherwise you just forget things, don't you? Um but yeah, that's something he he and he did he did used to make our first demos those demos that we were sending off into London all those years ago. We used to um, record them um, in Billy and Josh's mum and dad's um, like their their house, and it wasn't a very big house and it was a terrace house. So I'm sure their neighbours hated us, but we didn't, you know <laughs> didn't really think about that. Um, just sort of, uh, well, I don't know if they ever said anything, but I didn't. Yeah, I just. Do you know now you're just like if there's a band playing next door, I live in a terrace house now. So if there's a band playing next door, like what would you think about that? I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you mean definitely. Yeah. I'd like to think you'd be cool with it, but probably definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, I think I'd be cool with it unless my my, my children are escape me. But, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so that's how like that's how Billy kind of first got started with um, yeah, with with. He's always, he's always had an interest in it and he's always done it. But I think it was um, yeah, fourth album where he yeah really took the reins himself. And I was reading, you mentioned your studio then, or I was reading on Twitter that, or is, is Billy trying to crowdfund for it or something? Um, we are selling loads of equipment at the moment because um, the, so basically the deal of it is um, we we rent it and then we, we, we sublet it and a lot of the people in the other rooms um, because of the things they do, um, they can't do them at the moment. So we've lost some tenants. Um, and obviously we've not got 
and a huge amount of money coming in because our main source of income is live shows and they're not happening so yeah to um keep the studio billy's just like going through and selling loads of stuff that he can find um and we're just trying to get money from where we can to to keep it because i think um it is is it's a luxury to have it but i think we've got we're very close to finishing the fifth album now we've got four more songs to do and i think we just need we definitely need that finished there i think billy billy needs to have it finished there because that's where everything is that's where he's working and it would be yeah it'd suck if we had to move out before that was finished yeah yeah i saw jack white was doing a similar thing to be fair was he he did like no an way. online yeah he did like an online auction for loads of stuff he'd found at uh, his studio like you could buy you could buy like all the drum heads from hardest button to button video and stuff oh wow like that. that's cool. like, <laughs> it's all an auction thing yeah well, obviously they're for mental prices but yeah um, yeah that's cool some funny things on there there's like some you know like cdjs for like <laughs> really like, uh, a pub like a pub disco or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's amazing it's the things like we've been in a place for a while it's amazing the things you've found that you've been hoarding <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to ask you about i mean you've touched on it uh, already really but just what would you put the longevity of the band down to do you think i think i think we i mean we we love it we do genuinely love it and we still love it i think a lot of people fall out of love with it and then because as you get older being away from home becomes harder because maybe you have a partner or maybe you get children and it just becomes more and more difficult to leave home and you can't tour in the same relentless way you did when you were because a lot of you know a lot of bands start when they're quite young and I think if you don't love what you're doing then it doesn't you know all those things are not really worth doing um so but we do genuinely still love it I think um we've also been lucky to not I mean, really, the UK is not is not somewhere, and you know, we, we, it is still somewhere that we we play. But we've we've had we've been able to play in, in Europe quite a bit. I think in ter- if we're talking in terms of like sort of more boring financial stuff, I think in terms of keeping income and things coming in for the band, I think it's been able to play lots of festivals across Europe and been able to play lots of shows across Europe, and that's that's been really essential for us, and that's. Germany almost feels like our second home that's somewhere that we spend a lot of time um and that that's 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 a that's a big thing that's enabled us to to keep it going and to still this many years later I still get to call this my job which is I always find it strange calling it a job because it doesn't feel like being in a rock band should be a job but it is what you know able to do that still so that's that's really cool like obviously I mentioned yeah your partner at the minute is um, involved in music as well. Has it been a bit of a strange time for your birth, really, at the minute? It's been, it, it's been, it's been strange. It's also been quite nice because in so I think you have to find the silver linings in these things because yeah, otherwise yeah. everything just looks really grim if you think about it too much, like the bad stuff too much. But we, you know, this is the most time we've ever both had together um, because he. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he, play, he plays in Reverend the Makers, but he's also a drum tech, so he gets taken away on tour a lot. Um, I, you know, when the subways are touring, we tour a lot, and then we have, um, we, have, uh, we, have a, we have a family now as well, we have children, so there's a lot of, like, passing the children between us. Um, 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 so, so, yeah, the, the nice thing about this time has been to, 
to have that, that that quality family time together um and then i've been really grateful um that we're working on the 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 new album still at the moment um and i've found a way to do that from home so um that's kind of been a real source of sanity for me to be able to still have to have something positive that's that's going forwards and and looking beyond this time and i think you know it's it's obviously a shit time for music and a shit time for the arts and the lack of support that's being given um by the government um it's just really really difficult for a lot of people and i feel so lucky that um i do have something to be focusing on still although obviously I'm not getting directly paid for the album at the moment at least it's in kind of in more of a like artistic and sanity point of view it's it's, it's nice to have something to look forward to and there beyond this there's something that we're planning to do and we're going to release it and we hope it's going to be great and we're going to tour again yeah so you're not tempted to perch your partner for for your drummer then um i think then it he 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 did play drums for us for uh maybe five weeks of one really long 10 week tour um because josh wasn't well um so he has played for us before but um he yeah no he I, it becomes all kinds of complicated if we you can go down that route so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so no <laughs> would you say there was a particular high point from like any of your time in the band really um the optimist I, I like that question because I thought well the optimist in me likes to think we've not reached it yet and it's it's coming yeah. it's coming but then a lot of things you know a lot of things we talked about like main stage reading link is a good big one and then main stage like rock and ring rocking park um main stage i think a lot of the main stage big european festivals is are definitely high points but yeah i hope i hope maybe there's a, a better one coming perhaps <laughs> um is there anything you do differently um no, because I think there's, you know, everybody has regrets and everyone has things that they cringe about or they wish they'd not done or they wish they'd done differently. But then everything's led you to this point and everything has led you to those things that you've done. So I think you can't have too many regrets. Yeah. Things, yeah, might, be yeah. Dif- things might be different, I guess. Yeah, I mean, not them bad, have you, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a song or album that makes you most nostalgic about that kind of, you know, that early kind of period? Yeah, it's, it's um, Lack of Communication by the Von Bondis. Just played that until it wore out. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I was, this, I was walking somewhere the other day and I put it on and I was like, miss, this album's great. This is like, this is at the time, because like, there's Carrie and Marcy, the two, they play guitar and bass and they're both sang in it. And that's like, that's who I wanted to be, yeah. We kind of try and get an idea of how you would have found it if you were, you're going to start the band now. Like, how do you think it would be more challenging or how do, how do you anticipate it would be different if you're starting the band now? Um, so I think in terms of, I think things are very different in the music industry. When we, our first album came out, downloading wasn't, was something that people did, but it wasn't something that was widespread. Whereas now, like, I think if you asked a 16 year old to buy a CD, they'd look at you really confused, wouldn't they? Um, so, um, yeah, things have obviously changed massively in that respect, which does have an impact on, do you know, like, when we were first coming out record labels were still like spending ridiculous monies in advances on bands so you kind of having the money to um tour and produce albums and things and that that's obviously not quite as a bigger thing or they kind of want to do 360 deals and things like that with bands now where they take a bit of your merch and they take a bit of your touring and they kind of like they take a bit of everything really um not just your 
record sales. So that aspect of it is harder. But then I guess there's a lot more, you know, things like, you know, Instagram and Facebook, like social media, um, and then things like SoundCloud. And like there's there are ways to get your music out there instantly now, which is a positive um, for for new bands. But I think I think in general, sorry, in general, um, I think it's just different. And I think it's yeah, I think it's just a way for for bands to to find their way through. Because the thing is, like, not you know, sometimes being a band can be a bit expensive, like buying a guitar and amp and buying a drum kit. They're not like cheap things. Um, so, just I think it must be hard now with with like I think financially for bands, it must be quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to started to like do like bonus episodes and stuff, and uh, yeah. with like new, with like new bands. I was talking to this. Canadian band called Kiwi Junior who have been going for like 15 years in different kind of guises and they've just released no oh, they've released the first album going into the second on sub pop but they've still got jobs wow and, uh, yeah. so it kind of shows that you know, like you say the money is just not what it was kind of thing yeah because I feel you know I feel lucky that this I've never had to do anything else yet 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 I mean they may still come <laughs> May still come. Depends how how much COVID fucks things up, really, I guess, doesn't it? But um, yeah, so I feel like very lucky that not had to do that. And then I think I think that's a story which is yeah for a lot of bands. Like it's what they do. Yeah, that they have a day job still, and they're you know not sleeping because they're playing in the opposite end of the country the night before, and then get up at six for work or whatever. And like that must be incredibly difficult. trying to get a, a Gallagher story out of people um, I'm right <laughs> thinking you did you support them at one point or am I imagining that oh no we, we have yeah we did play with them I think three times oh, okay yeah three because they're on that with that Millennium Stadium gig in Cardiff with Foo Fighters that was Oasis and Foo Fighters and then, and then once at Hammersmith Apollo which was like a like a you know, obviously that's a small show for them so that was like a pre-album celebration thing or something I don't know um, and then and and then the big one was um oh my goodness me what is Manchester City's football <laughs> ground City of Manchester the the oh no 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 oh, oh my goodness no me. yeah it used to be called City of Manchester when yeah. they played it, I think yeah yeah yes yeah. yeah. that yeah we played there with them that was obviously a big thing um and we played that the week, the week the week before Young Fraternity came out, or the day before Young Fraternity came out, or something like that. But yeah. Well, I think you mentioned them briefly, but were you kind of fans of them growing up? Yeah, huge. Billy's like, you know, one of the first songs he learned to play was Supersonic. That's always one of his stories. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, Supersonic was like the first song he learned to play. Yeah. Oh, cool. And yeah, we're yeah big fans of. I think yeah, everyone is shaped by Britpop, aren't they? Of like my age because it was. A, little, a bit, you know, I was a bit young for it, but it was still like, you know, it was a massive part of pop culture, wasn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was watching that gig on YouTube uh, quite recently, actually, because um, I think the first song Oasis play, like the barrier cracks at the front. Oh, and right. They, they wow. Had to start the gig. I don't know if that was the one you played. It must have been. Um, it might have been. They did, um, they did do quite a few gigs there at that time. So maybe uh, right. it was, it may have been the one we played. Um, or maybe not but um, yeah that's pretty mad isn't it that must have been terrifying so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I've done if you've got a funny story about them or just I can't, I can't a funny story about any time really <laughs> um, 
So the only yeah, that we we did meet both Noel and Liam. I met Noel. Um, I was in the catering, and um, he was stood behind me. I think I was just like messing around near the coffee machine or something, and I was like, "Fuck, fucks. What do I do? What do I do? I think I just just was been a bit weird because I've just been stood there for ages. And then he said hello to me. I was like, "Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for this." But I just like made a total tit of myself um so that's the yeah I don't have we don't we didn't party with them or anything like I don't have any like wild stories about them um <laughs> but they were they were nice you know that they, they were nice and that's you know if people you get to meet like it's to say that you've stood next to like Noel Gallagher or Liam Gallagher is pretty cool <laughs> yeah because I, I think Noel's the same like we're saying about Dave Grohl picking support bands get the idea that they kind of do the same thing as well we heard that they liked us and they'd said one of them had said something or maybe both of them had said something about us in enemy they said that they when they were asking him about new bands they liked and they'd, they'd mentioned us and that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to us it was amazing I think <laughs> I don't know my mum's probably got that enemy article still or something like it's just <laughs> That was, um, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> said you have quite a big following in Germany because I noticed some of, um, did you do some special recordings for Germany or something? Yeah, yeah, we did some, um, we did, um, so we've done a few a few German things. Um, we all, we all, Billy, well, Billy always sings rock and roll queen um, in the language of the place we're at, so... And then, so earlier in 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 the first lockdown, we released um, "Rock and Roll Queen" in um, twenty languages. Um, oh, right. So yeah, um, of just the yeah that final verse um, in in different languages. Um, and then it's something we started doing it in Germany first. I can't remember why we started doing it. I think we just thought it'd be fun. Um, and then this big German band called Sport Stiller, They did um, MTV Unplugged. And invited us to come on with them, and they sang it on that, which was like a pretty big thing. It went to like number one in Germany and stuff. It was like wow. they're they're pretty big there. Um, and then um, we don't need money to have a good time, which is on the third album. Um, we recorded a German version of that as well, and we sing that in German um, when we play in Germany. The last chorus, yeah. So Ger- Germany's like um, yeah, it's a big place for us. It's where that's that that's our biggest territory, definitely. The country's kind of that's Germany has quite a big influence on obviously like Austria and Switzerland, which are German speaking, but then the countries around that, like Poland and like Czech Republic um, and Slovakia. Um, so it's quite a good, it, I think that's kind of, yeah, been really good for us because it's, it's, it is Germany and that's the main place, but it's kind of where that spreads to as well. Um, and you know, like German MTV and stuff is shown in like Poland and Czech Republic. So um, yeah, yeah, it's quite far reaching. For some reason, I imagine you get a very good rider in Germany. I don't know why. Oh, they 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 do. Yeah, you get the food is great. Like they do really like you always get really nice catering. <laughs> it's it's genuinely like touring Germany is is, is very pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and and they have really nice beer and it's yeah it's just nice 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 <laughs> like, nice few weeks whenever you enjoy it. <laughs> do best. So rock and roll.